So we're here with Jim Barfield. Uh, he is the founder of the Copper Scroll Project. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, research that he's been involved with here for, for quite a few years. I first heard about uh, you, Jim, probably about a decade ago. Um, I was in Israel in 2011 for the first time. And uh, I got back and I just, it kind of rocked my world and, and I just, try to consume everything I could about Israel history, archaeology, etc. And so I basically found found the work you were doing or the, some of the research. And um, it was two years until I went back 2013. But I remember going back totally like enthralled. That was the first time 2013 was the first time I went back to Qumran and mm -hmm. um, and kind of followed uh, the videos that you had put out back then there was uh, i think two or three part series videos that you had put out about your theory about the copper scroll but i just it was very vivid for me and, and, and i appreciate the work i want to uh and i wish other people i want other people to know about the research and what you uh what you came up with and i know you spent a lot of time money um and you've had a lot of frustrations too because you can't really uh you can't do yeah. what you really want to do uh, but I guess we could start with um, kind of your background, and from there you can explain to us a little bit of what the Copper Scroll is, and then whatever you want to do, we'll just have a conversation, talk about it, and we'll go from there. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, my background is uh, my uh, career that I had prior to uh, becoming interested in the Copper Scroll Project or the Copper Scroll. I was a firefighter, um, actually. At the time that I, I made the discovery was after my retirement, but I did investigative work as a uh, arson investigator, and I won some. I won uh, the two highest awards for investigators in in Oklahoma, and uh, the other one was a. I won it for Oklahoma, Oklahoma Investigator of the Year. Then I won it again for. After that, I they put me in and they continued on. I won it internationally. Uh, but my background, my background in aviation, I was a test pilot for the um, army and flew, uh, scout helicopters, uh, in combat roles. All, all of my career, I was in combat MOSs, or uh, meaning combat skills, uh, training. Okay. So that's pretty much my background. Cause I, I went right out of high school into, uh, the military. And I stayed there for 10 and a half years. Uh, after that, I got out and joined the fire department, stayed there for 20, 20, almost 24 years. Wow. And that's, I didn't have a lot of diversity in my background as far as uh, training skills go. I'm certainly not an archaeologist. I'm not, I don't have any of those, you know, the background for archaeology, but I do have a passion for biblical study. And that's, that's where this all spiraled from. It was my Bible study. I didn't, I had no real intention of uh, picking this up for the purpose of discovering where these items were at. I just did it I, out of a, a whim one morning. Uh, I'd met Vendel Jones, who was what everybody considered to be the, the Copper Scroll guy. Uh, but I listened to his um his research and it really wasn't research it was just all in his head um the guy i didn't i didn't agree with him he was a he was a nice guy uh his research into the background of the copper scroll i agree with that and uh, he and i both we sat down and were talking about Qumran because that's where the copper scroll was found at like with uh, about a mile away from Qumran, a little less than a mile and that's where I began picking up uh, the desire to even search for the copper scroll. Uh, the, the location was after I met with him. I thought, you know what? I got a lot of background investigation. I, I'm going to go ahead and try to get uh, see if I can figure this thing out, buddy. It took me about when I started early on one cold December morning. Um, it took me about five minutes to figure out how to understand the copper scroll. That sounds crazy. Yeah. It sounds ridiculous, but I'm telling you it's the truth. Wow. And after that, 
Uh, within 20 minutes, I had the first five locations figured out. None of them have changed to this day. Once I made the discovery, it was done. I was set. And then all I had to do was apply the same technique, line by line by line, word by word, until I uh, got the whole thing completed. It took me from January, uh, no, I'm sorry, December, December until June, I think it was the 22nd of June when I finally sealed my research and called it good at that point. So it took, uh, it took that long to figure out every single word and, and fill in all the blanks so that I knew that, you know, I had everything in its right order. But that's pretty much the background leading up to the Copper Scroll. And that was, what year did you, what year was that in? Maybe you said I missed it. 2006. 2006, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you took, um, you did you do several excavations there or you did just one excavation? We did, uh, well, let's just say this. We did an excavation, uh, but we ex did excavation. And they weren't really excavations past the, and once we got past the first one, really wasn't an excavation after that. We were going to go down about six feet, two meters, uh, at the cave entrance where I believe the cave entrance was at. Yep. And then we were going to go down uh, a considerable distance. But we got a phone call during the... Uh, during the cave excavation. Once that phone call was done, the archeologist walked away from us and it wasn't good because at that point he had decided, they had decided, upper echelons had decided to shut the operation down. It was, from what all I understand, uh, ASOR, a uh, archeological group here in the United States were angry that they were allowing a non-archaeologist to test his research there at Qumran. I mean, the, the IAA or the ADCA was actually paying for everything. Hmm. They were paying the salary of uh, Yuval Pelig, the guy that did the uh, checking my research. They paid for the diggers, everything. All I had to do was show up and point, you know, this is where I want this, this is where I want to dig here. And they were not happy. They were angry that I was you know, getting all this special treatment, really, which really wasn't, uh, because it, it wasn't officially was not my of uh, my excavation. It sure, was under sure. Yuval Peleg's, right. uh, under his uh, license and everything. And he was the main um, research archaeologist for the ADCA for Qumran. That was pretty much his second home, and, mm. and very wonderful man, very nice guy. But I think he got in trouble for uh, for working with me. I think I think the, uh, the scholars of the world were hammering him. But you know what? The guy that was the main lead in, in hammering everybody, me in particular, um, he he uh, got to see a portion of my research, and after he saw it, <laughs> he quit hammering me. He realized, oh my gosh, this is really very simple. And this guy's figured it out. And wow. so he was, he was not a nice man. I won't say his name, uh, but you can read the book and you'll find out exactly who it was. Yeah. The guy was not a nice man at all. And someday he's going to regret what he's done. Hmm. All the ugly things he said about me, my family, um, the guys on the project, uh, ugly stuff. And wow. someday you're going to pay for that. You know, it's but, 13 hours. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so he'll, he'll, uh, he'll regret saying those things because I absolutely believe we figured out where these things are at. And if they ever allow us to dig, and I think they will, we're going to find some pretty amazing things. And basically, for people that don't know what the Copper Scroll is, it was just one of the scrolls that was found during the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the find, or when they were looking for stuff. And it's unique because it was done in copper, which means it is incredibly valuable. Um, and it was, uh, I've, I've, it's been some years since I've gone through that research, but I know they, they basically sourced it 
um, three different authors, I believe, something like that. Um, but it, definitely ancient. And what it describes is basically, in a nutshell, the temple treasure, um, as I understood it. But basically, you kind of solved the riddle of the locations that I was describing by overlaying it on Qumran. And, um, yeah, kind of the rest is history. Uh, I remember the, yeah, yeah, you have some, I'm just looking at your website right now. You've got some diagrams and stuff on there where you're, where, where it shows some of this. But we could be potentially talking about, I think I've heard you say this before, but it could even be potentially in the billions of dollars. Is that is that a fair statement or is that a little exaggerated? No, 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 no. There's one location, one location, location number three, that contains almost $2 billion worth of uh, gold, polished gold. Uh, let's say that, let's say that uh, it's, it, what we calculate a talent, which is, that's what the, the measurements are, is in talents, all the weights, or in talents, biblical measurement, it was, we use 75 pounds. So it works out to be uh, almost $2 million. But if we cut that in half, you got a billion dollars in gold sitting there. But if you take that gold and label it from uh, the time of Jeremiah, you know, that the, the prophets of Jeremiah, his time frame, buried these things, guess what? That's like uh, Auntie Grode Show with the provenance on a small bowl, you know, being from Abraham Lincoln's lips at the at the Ford's Theater. It goes through the roof. Yeah. So that is that one location alone is well over a billion dollars. That's just unfathomable. Now I know there was probably some hesitation, I assume, uh, by the IAA for like because of the the location being in the West Bank well the territories but in being over in the west bank the potential debate that could happen with a find that would be of that magnitude or do you think that's kind of they're kind of past that no I, th I think that that is uh uh the secondary concern i think the primary concern is the possibility of finding the ark of the covenant mm -hmm. that's that's where the big issue comes in because they there is, uh, Israel, excuse me, it's far more secular than what I thought it was. I mean, it's still more religious than the United States. I'm, I'm being honest with you. They stop everything on their Sabbath. Yeah. They, they put everything aside and that becomes a focus for 24 hours straight. Right. So what? If they, uh, they're much more, much more determined to be who they are, but with, they're still a secular uh, overshadow of some people that I don't even want to talk about. They're horrible, uh, controlling people and they don't want these things found. And if you believe in God, if you believe that there's a Satan, if you believe those things, then what I'm doing, what we're, let me say what we're doing, uh, that becomes a very high target for, uh, if, if you believe in the spiritual world, it becomes a very high target for whoever's involved in that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, the uh, West Bank issue is is a big issue, but the greatest issue of all is uh, I'm, I'm I'm assuming you're a religious man. I, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. For sure. yeah. Okay. Well, then, then you look at it from a spiritual biblical standpoint. We've got some serious serious opposition for this. But the time will come, and if, if everything we believe about the Bible, and I do believe the Bible, uh, there's going to come a time that these things are going to these things are going to come out of the ground. And there are, I don't know what you whether you call them prophecies, uh, but they're they're not biblical prophecies. They're prophecies in Second Maccabees that said when these when these things are found, it'll be the time of the coming of the Messiah. Hmm. Uh, another one says that when these things are found to be the time of the regathering of the uh, nation of Israel, when these things are found, you know, it's all about the return of the Messiah. Do, do, you, have and, any, do you have any references in Maccabees? Yeah, Maccabee, Maccabees, uh, second Maccabees, uh, second chapter, um, first paragraph, I believe. Let's look 
here. Oh, that was Jeremiah hiding. Gotcha. Yep. Straight. It's all straight. The prophet, having received an oracle, ordered that the tent and the ark should follow him. That he went out to the mountain where Moses had gone up and seen the inheritance of God. And Jeremiah came and found a cave and brought there the tent, the ark, the altar of incense, seal up the entrance. Some of those who followed him. Yeah, yeah, okay. Very interesting. The Lord will disclose these things, and the glory of the Lord and the cloud will appear as they were shown in the case of Moses and Solomon. Asked that the place should be specially consecrated. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and this is one of the things that um, intrigued me about about it is, I mean, you're talking ancient. I mean, the Copper Scroll has been dated to the time period, uh, like you said, that um, Haggai and Zechariah, um, there was another one, I forget what his name is, an author, but you're talking biblical prophets that would have wrote this, and this is in the days of Jeremiah. And I know that there's other yeah. theories out there as far as location for the Ark of the Covenant and stuff. And I'm not, you know, to me, we'll see, but I was very intrigued with, with what you what you uncovered with the whole Qumran thing. So how, um, in your mind, like, do you see this kind of stalled and it, it will just be stalled until <laughs> forever? But are you, have you made any, is there any traction at all in the last couple of years? Um, since the COVID thing hit, um, they, they really put a cramp on what we were doing and how we were out doing an outreach to people to make them aware of it. Yeah. Um, so yes, it has. Uh, the COVID thing has put a real crimp in our style, uh, but we do. There is a, a couple of possibilities. The TV um, group out of Germany wants to me to go with them to Israel and do a story on the Ark of the Covenant. That's their primary focus. Okay. And they really were interested in my theory of where the Ark of the Covenant was at, and I think it's because. My theory is not some elaborate, you know, uh, Jesus went to England and, you know, yeah. the Illuminati, all it. it's simple. It's just a simple, they took the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, altar of incense, and they put it inside of a cave and it's on, on the way to uh, Mount Nebo. And there's, there's so many other things that support that that it's hard not to recognize the simplicity of it. And it's only like at the most 13 miles away. And that's, there's, there's so much history behind it that backs it up and makes it so logical that you go with the Hawkins, Hawkins razor theory of, you know, the simplest answer is normally the best answer. Mm. And that's the way I see it. And so do a lot of the rabbis in Israel see it the same way. Very interesting. The so you basically you, I mean you've been on site probably for some time. Is there like a lot of interest in the Israeli side, like people that you've interacted with over there, as far as what it could be, et cetera, or do they just kind of eh? Oh yeah, no, they listen. Uh, it, it, before they listen, they usually go eh. Uh, <laughs> they just you know it's still hard to believe. I mean, a yeah. fireman from Lawton, Oklahoma, uh, finds the Ark of the Covenant and all the treasure. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I, I get it. I get it. It's, it's just a logical reaction. But then they start looking at the research. I have never shown the research that it went past the fourth location before they went, oh, my gosh. Because, again, it's so simple. It's not mystical it's not kabbalah some yeah. mystical you know jewish yeah. it's not it's simple do this do this find this that's how easy it is that's that's so cool so i guess time will tell and see if we ever get to see that stuff eventually i assume we'll get to see what happens um, in the future in the world we live in um, this stuff could be coming out soon you never know well, and, and again, you know, the prophecy says, and, and again, who knows whether it's accurate or not, but at the time that when these things are found, it'd be the time to come into the Messiah. And matter of fact, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of teaching about the Messiah will be the one that will bring these things out of the ground. 
Well, we now know if, if I'm right. Let's put it that way. If yeah. I'm right, we now know where the uh, where these things are at. So all it takes is a man with enough guts to step up, a leader in Israel with enough guts to step out and say, no, well, let's let this guy check his theory because what's it going to hurt? I dig a hole in the ground out in the wilderness, literally out in the wilderness. No one's going to be hurt by it. It's not going to cause any problems. And we would know. I can tell, I promise you, uh, we could know, I mean, physically have hands on silver ingots in about two hours tops. And probably to, if I took my old buddy, Matt Kaiser with me, uh, he's a, he's a farmer rancher and the guy could dig a hole that deep. <laughs> he's six foot four and, and a very strong, uh, guy. And he could have it dug, you know, 30 minutes. And that's no exaggeration. We, we would know if he would be doing it. But you got the archaeological way of digging, which is with yeah. the toothbrush. Right. Don't take Yeah. Got a sift and all that good stuff. Yes. So the picture that's behind you, your head's kind of in the mouth of it. Was that during the excavation? No, actually, that is cave three. That's where okay. the copper scroll was found. Gotcha. Okay. And that is, you said, how far away from Qumran? That cave is a little, a little less than a mile away from Qumran. Due South, north. Right. Due north. Due north. Yep. Due north. Okay. Was there any other, was there any stuff found in the same cave, other writings, or this one was all by itself? Um, yeah, I believe there were other things uh, found inside the cave. This was, of course, the biggest one, and it was actually found on the last day of a a, a sanctioned archaeological. Uh, search for more uh, of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Last day of their excavation, they were searching for more scrolls, and they just happened to stumble upon this copper scroll behind. And the, the ceiling had collapsed, and it formed like a false wall, and gotcha. they looked behind the wall, and there it was, sitting on a shelf. Wow. Uh, yeah, just happened to find it at the last minute. Remember, Amazing. Look, remember looking at pictures of when they you know, they eventually, they cut it and peeled it back so you could read it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, I mean, there's really nothing like it, even in antiquity, like copper scrolls like that. I mean, it's not something that's that prevalent in uh, archaeology that I know of, at least in Israel. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff. I've been over, just FYI, I've been over half a dozen times. I've spent um, three of those times I was there for more for about a month and I, you know, rent a car and drive around. I'm one of those more adventure type guys, not the pre-scripted um, tour kind of people. So I, I like getting, getting, getting in and like getting to know the terrain, the, the geography, et cetera. Um, but yeah, you don't really see that. I have, at least for me, I don't know of any other type of scroll like that, that they've found uh, really in antiquity. I mean, probably the closest thing would be cuneiform tablets you know, where you have clay and you're etching it. So for them to do something in copper meant it was extremely valuable. Yeah. Yeah, the copper is, uh, it, it's not like you can run to uh, Hobby Lobby, buy a roll of copper back in those days. They had to make it themselves. They had to smelt it. They had to do all the processing, purifying, uh, and then they had to hammer it out flat. And each sheet of this copper scroll is about two and a half feet long. Yeah. So it, it works out to be about seven feet long. Once you, they had to rivet uh, all three sheets together. Uh, and it, people call it the copper scrolls, but it's actually the copper scroll the, because it, it broke, it snapped. When they, they riveted it together, they started to roll it up and they, they, where they put the rivets in it, they snapped completely out of it, which made it into two, two scrolls. But it's, again, it's only one scroll. Very cool. And the, the writing is, is it Hebrew? I assume it's ancient Hebrew. Yes. Like not paleo. It'd be no paleo is more of a that's young, really that's the yeah. Very cool. Very interesting. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your website, I guess, and information and how people can, can help if you're into that. Yeah. 
No, you know what? Uh, they we're redoing my website. They can go to the website. It's uh, just do a Google or a, you know a, what's the other one, uh, GoDaddy or whatever. DuckDuckGo, yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. My wife, she's monitoring my corrects me. So it's a uh, yeah. Just go to the search engine, type in the Copper Scroll Project, and it'll it'll come up on there. We're doing we're redoing the uh, the Copper Scroll Project website uh, very shortly. We're going to start here soon. Uh, but uh, as far as donating, don't worry about that. Uh, we are. We're, we try to survive without any or very little donations because, you know, we want this to be, we want this not to be a money-making operation. We're doing it because sure. we believe in what we're doing. Yeah. That's it. Just purely because we believe what we're doing is right, the right thing to do. And you do presentations the way it looks here in person as well, if people are into that sort of thing? Yes. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go anywhere in the country. And I've been overseas doing it, but I've been all over the United States now doing presentations. And the way I do it is they pay my way there. They provide me with a place to, to stay. And I, I always try to take my wife with me. I just think it's uh, much better to do it that way. Oh yeah. Take her with me. And cause she's my memory. She helps me stay on track and that sort of thing. <laughs> so that's, that's our goal is uh, once I get there, if they want to take up a, a collection, call it whatever they want to call it, that's up to them. And that's the way, uh, if there's any money to come into my hands for the project, that's the way it happens. And I just like it that way because the people are not forced to pay, you know, $50 a head to come see me talk. Uh, it, that's not what this is about. It's not about me making a building my savings account or anything. It's about, sharing the story with everyone because the time will come uh, it's, it's like I'll be going to um, Los Angeles. If everything comes through this week, I'll be going to Los Angeles to do a, uh, uh, I won't, I can't say who it is for right now, but it's a very large company and uh, you'd know immediately who I was talking about if I said it, they do, a, they do a lot of history stuff. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> So that's uh, that's that's rewarding to me because that's a, a big way to get out the story and let people know what's happening. Wow. So, is so that, that's my goal. Okay. Well, I won't ask too many questions along that, but we assume that's going to turn into something that's viewable. <laughs> yes, it will. It'll be, uh, yes. It's going to be uh, kind of like what we're doing today. Okay. If it's not going actually going out to Qumran. Now the other one where the, the German producers are contacting me, that's a go to Qumran and walk around there and talk about the copper scroll that way. Wow. And so, and your theory in that the cave was a big deal because it's, uh, it's described in the scroll as the mound of color, as, as I recall. Uh, yeah. and, and that's really the primary, like the, the primary, uh, article of interest for you in the whole thing. I mean, of course, there's many sites across the whole thing. I mean, you want all of it, but that really, the cave is the big one. If you could see what's in the cave, that would be a good start. Yeah, and, and uh, I went up to the cave uh, where we believe the cave is at with uh, Moshe Faglin, who is the, was the deputy speaker of the Israeli Knesset. He went out there with me because he was angry at the, the government for not allowing me to at least scan the area. And I told him that I said, I said, I'd really like to scan this location at Qumran. I said, but I can't. And he said, why? And I said, because it's illegal for me to get out there and scan it. He said, I'll help you. He said, you show me how to operate it. Walk with me and talk me through it. And it's a big, it's a big, uh, device. It's like six feet by six feet, the head of it, two meters by two meters, huge. But all it is, is a wire and it acts as a head on a uh, metal detector work. Okay. Yeah. Same principle. We scanned the doggone place. Um, he scanned the doggone place and <laughs> we, we got some enormous readings for enormous amounts of non-ferrous metals, which is copper, gold, silver, that sort of thing. Wow. <clears throat> but at the cave, oh, 
It was off the charts. Are you serious? Off the charts. <laughs> Man, that's ah. Oh well. <laughs> I guess we just have to wait. Let's, oh, yeah, well. yeah, we do. Um, we're trying to do everything legal, and I, I would have never done that. Scanned it without, uh, sure. you know, yeah. standard authorization. But when the you know the deputy speaker of the Connecticut said we're going to do this, yeah. I just saluted and said, "Yes, sir, let's yes, do sir. it. <laughs> let's scan this place." And it was it was incredible. I mean, to sit there and watch my computer, you know, come to life, and I pull up the first location. I mean, we were all staring at the screen. My wife, my son, my youngest son, we were all staring at the screen, waiting, and there it was. We, none of us could even react because it was so hard to believe that yeah. there was so much in those each location. It was just a really, and you know, everything rested on that. I mean, I would have really been incredibly disappointed had there been nothing on the screen because Qumran, it's, it's out in the wilderness. Right. Why would there be, you know, huge amounts of uh, non-ferrous metals under the ground at Qumran, unless, you know, 2,300 years ago, uh, Jeremiah and, and the prophets had a beer party and they put all their cans under the ground, the aluminum can, <laughs> you know, why would it be there? Just doesn't make, it had to be a few kegs there too. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, in your opinion, all of this comes from first temple period. Yes. Not, not King Herod, not Zerubbabel's temple. This yep. is first temple all period first temple. stuff. You know, all I the had, documents like that. I had an interesting, it's kind of a rabbit trail, but it's an interesting one. Uh, I did a, did a discussion three weeks ago with uh, Christian Widener, who's got a theory um, about that he I, he's going to be publishing a book here soon. He gave me a little bit of a snippet that he thinks the um, the stones on the base, the ones that are often attributed to Herod, the ba of uh, of the Temple Mount, are actually uh -huh. Solomonic. The ones with the margins, okay, the ones that everybody talks about if you do the tunnel tour and all that sort of stuff. But he actually thinks those are actually Solomonic. Um, uh -huh. I'm just fascinated that this type of information is coming out in our generation. Like there has to be obviously connections. The Lord is wanting this stuff to come out, you know, slowly tidbit by tidbit, the world is going more secular and anti-God in one way, but yet at the same time, there's more and more evidence coming about, about um, the reality of you know, the truth of it, the truth of, of uh -huh. a truth of the plan, truth of what God is going to do and how he's going to, you know, redeem the world and how he's going to cleanse it and all that good stuff. So it's very exciting for me to, uh, uh, to hear that, hear that stuff. Cause I didn't hear about the scans. That's interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Well, I don't know. Do you anything else you want to add to this? I should probably ask more questions, uh, but I don't know what to ask right now. You kind of, you're pretty efficient. <laughs> I've done this a few times. I can tell. So yet there is a, there's hope. Let me just put it that way. It's that's what I told one of the uh, key rabbis that I spoke with in Israel. Uh, when I sat down with him, I told him, he said, Mr. Barfield, what, what do you want from me? And he was kind of frustrated that I was sitting there because he had no idea what was going on. And he was had a very, very full schedule. And I had a heck of a time getting into scene, but I told him, I've, I've figured out how to understand this copper scroll. Do you know what it is? He said, of course I know what it is. And he just went like, what? What is, you know, some half-breed Mexican from Lawton, Oklahoma? What are you, what are you talking about? He was, he was a gentleman, but you could see he was just, oh, my gosh, I got a nut in my office. <laughs> and so we're sitting there, and, I, and he, he finally he said, well, let's see what you got. And me and my buddy Chris Knight, were, I, I unfold my, my document, which was like 190 pages, and I went straight to the disclosure portion that you know, explains each, each one of the locations. And he looked at it, and I went to the fourth location. Remember when I told you that I don't get past the fourth? I told him about it. He looked at the research, and he just got up, you know, 
grabbed my shoulders and pulled me up and he kissed me on both cheeks. And he got to visualize this. I'm not a tall guy. I'm five foot nine, but he was about five, four, five, six, something like that. And he's kissing around on me. And I don't mean that in a nasty, ugly way at all. He was, uh, it was, uh, he was honoring me, but uh, I tell everybody guys in Oklahoma, most of them, don't kiss other guys. <laughs> and so that was a little odd to me. It, oh, it was it was an amazing thing. That was that was really rewarding because yeah. here's a man, his background was in, in you know, he knew all about the temple. He knew all about these things. And for him to look at my research and go, oh my gosh, that was rewarding. Because now this half breed Mexican from you know lot Oklahoma was getting confirmed about my research. It was, it was confirmation for me and very rewarding and very usable to get other people to pay attention to me. Once they found out this rabbi had given me a, you know, stamp of approval. Wow. So those are the kinds of things that, uh, you know, that have really helped. Yuval Peleg, the archeologist that went out to Qumran, that was a major feather in my hat because here's the guy that does the excavations at Qumran, that he too, when I got to number four, he too was on board. I mean, I, long story, but I just called him. Um, it was a few months later, I just called him and said, hey, you wanna be the lead archeologist on this? And expecting him to say, no, thank you, I'm too He said, yes, I would love to be. So things took off from that point on. So there's a lot more coming and, you know, let your audience know where I'll let them know that never give up. Don't let people, don't let people sidetrack you. Don't let the bullies get out there because there are bullies out there that try to sidestep everything because oh, yeah. they want all the glory. If there is no glory in this, all glory goes to God. Amen. When these things are found, it's not going to glorify Jim Barfield. It's going to glorify God in such a way that there's going to be a, there's going to be a revival like we have never ever seen hmm. it time's coming and i believe that with all my heart wow. so i'll stop there and let you ask your final questions i guess you're ready to wind this up well we can we can keep talking i'll just keep listening <laughs> i have no problem <laughs> oh well it, what would what more would you like to hear about well, I mean, I'm always fascinated with the story. Obviously, you know, your background and got into the copper school and you figured it out. Now, since the, the time you started to now have you like, un, I mean, when, when you when you understood it to you, it was that sealed since then, there's really not been any new pieces added. Or it will, as far as research, no. Uh, the, the biggest thing that I that I tripped over as I was putting my research together in one package is I was looking for a map of Jerusalem at the time of Jeremiah. That was important to me. <clears throat> so I could visualize things that happening at Jerusalem because everything was being orchestrated from Jerusalem by Jeremiah. And he was in being held captive in Jerusalem while the guys at Qumran, the underlings were in, and I'm talking underlings like Haggai and Zechariah. Right. that's pretty high underlings, but they, I believe, honestly, I believe they were boys. Yeah. I believe they're young boys, maybe not much more than 12, 13 years old. Hmm. And why would I say that? Because that scroll had to last 70 years before it could ever be used again. And they needed men that had already, that had been involved in this hiding uh, expedition where they hide in all this treasure. They needed two boys at least to make it through until the 70 years were over. Because if they were 13, <clears throat> excuse me, 13, and it had to, they had to be there for 70 years, you're talking 80 year old men, 70, 80 years old, depending on how old they were or how soon they went into captivity mm. in Babylon. So that, and so back to my, my point is we were looking for a map. I was looking for a map. And whenever I found one, I thought, Oh my gosh, here's a, Here's a map that said map of Jerusalem, time of Jeremiah, exactly what I needed. When I looked at it, I thought, wait a minute, that's Qumran. But why did they draw it upside down? And I went, 
oh my gosh, they, meaning the prophets, Qumran is the home of the prophets. Yeah. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Yeah. And that is, they had built Qumran in a location, a perfectly set location where they had the, 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 the valleys they needed, uh, they used wadis, which are, you know, wash away yep. property. Anyway, they, uh, they designed Qumran to be a Jerusalem in the wilderness. That was, that was one of the most fascinating things that I found. Wow. And when I showed that to the rabbi, I went to talk to the uh, Sanhedrin, the current Sanhedrin. I went to show uh, two groups of them and they all just went, Oh, oy, oy, oy. and I'm not making fun of them, but really did that. And they, That's that awesome. was, it was awesome because they were, they realized how important Qumran was to the biblical world, oh, yeah. to their history, to our Absolutely. biblical history. Yeah. Major deal. So those are the, those things are, so have I found anything in addition to my initial research in 22 June, 2007, a few minor things, but no, they the majority of it was found when I was doing the, uh, putting the research together. <clears throat> so have you delved into any other types of research or are you pretty much just stuck around the copper scroll? No, I do. I do biblical uh, chronology okay. and I'm telling you the biblical chronology is to me and to many people, it's as exciting as the copper scroll because what I did is very simple. Again, I just recorded from Adam, from Adam to Seth, uh, what was it? hundred and hundred and ten years. I don't remember what 90 years. Anyway, from Adam to Seth is a time locked in time frame. And then I went from Seth to the next biblical person and which I believe was Enos. Then I took that disc and what I did is I created a link by link by link of all the dates in the Bible yeah. that indicate from this time to this time to this time. And I got all the way to the time of Jeremiah and there was a link every single step of the way. So the timing, it's like a, it's like a, a, a check register. Remember those things? Oh, yeah. it, it's, yep. It would be if, if the bank called you and said, Hey, you are short, you know, $500 in your bank account, you're going to grab what you're going to grab your paperwork, your bank register and say, no, wait a minute. And you're going to go in there and you're going to compare it. And then you'll find out who made the mistake. Well, that's what I did with the biblical dating is I used strictly the Bible to get from Adam all the way down to the crucifixion of Yeshua, Jesus. That's what I used. And buddy, it worked out incredibly well. The, uh, I got to Jeremiah and I ran out of, uh, I ran out of, uh, references. I thought, and then I went, wait a minute. There were no births, no Kings from this King to this King. Uh, but there was a prophecy, a prophecy by Daniel. It says from the going forth of the commandments to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Yep. until the uh, crucifixion or the cutting off of the Messiah would be 483 years. Guess what? I knew exactly when the crucifixion was because, uh, you know what a Jubilee year is? Yeah. 70th year or 50th. Yep. 70th. 50th, uh, yeah. 50th. 49th actually 50th. 49th. Let's say 50th. Yep. 50th year. It, it, it gave the date and that's a 50 year gap on either side. So it's really easy to pinpoint. His crucifixion, according because the Dead Sea Scrolls got three prophecies in there about Yeshua, about Jesus. Did you know that? Which which ones? One of them is uh, about John and the birth of Yeshua, Jesus. Uh, then there's another one about um, Jesus being the Messiah. Then there's another one, and it gives a date. It gives a date in there as well which matches exactly with the date that I'm telling you about. Exactly. Wow. Interesting. Oh, it's, it's amazing. That's why I'm saying there's a lot of guys. I, I did a presentation online for some guys in Washington, DC area. And the guy said, Oh my gosh, he said, I love your story on the copper scroll. He said, but he said, I'm just as excited about this timeline. 
So I sent him a copy of it so he could do some research with it. That's, uh, so do I do other research? Yes, but that's the, my primary thing. Um, I've done a lot of research on the uh, Dominic Qumran. You ever heard of the Melchizedek order? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, go to Qumran. If you haven't been there already, I think you said you've been there. Yeah, I've been there probably five times now. Have you been there since you heard about the project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, if you if you had my research there, there's a guy by the name of Gilad Rosinger. I uh, yeah, I could yeah, yeah. be. Yeah, I. I you know, Gilad? I don't know him personally, but yeah, I follow him on Facebook. I know him. Yep. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine, and I I, I gave him a packet together so he could give tours at Qumran okay. and actually show the locations. I give him, I just gave him a few. I didn't give him a bunch of them, so he could show where this stuff was at and see how simple the research is and how easy it is to identify what they're talking about on the copper scroll. So there we have all this stuff coming together. So yeah, I've got the research on the guys at Qumran. I've got the timeline and, and the, and the Ditsy scroll prophecies about Yeshua. So yeah, I've got a lot of stuff that I, that I work on. And, but the Melchizedek order, the one that I was bringing up, that to me is every bit as fascinating as the copper scroll. Because the, that is the home of the Melchizedek order at Qumran. So and unpack that a little bit as far as so Melchizedek, obviously king of Salem or Salem, and so going forward, you're saying as far as that would have been more the, the source point of the school of the prophets. Yeah, it's uh, where uh, Abraham met with uh, yep. Mel Melchizedek. Yep. Was right there out in the Qumran area. Yeah. So coming from the yeah, it was. in the north, yeah. Yeah, his name actually is, is either the messenger of righteousness, Malachi, which is either king or messenger, Malach. Uh, Malach is uh, like Malachi. Right. Uh, Malachi Zadik, the messenger of righteousness, or the king, Melech, the king of righteousness. So there's a much bigger story to that than meets the eye. And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and the Melchizedek at that time, people loved to think it was Jesus. It wasn't. It was Shem. It was the oldest son of uh, Noah that was Melchizedek at that time. Whenever Abraham paid tithes, he paid them to Shem, who was the, uh, that's where the term Semite comes from. Mm -hmm. yep. Sons of Shem. So anyway, the Melchizedek order being that's their home. And, and one of the things that it says in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's the Melchizedek scroll. It talks about Yeshua uh, in that scroll and people don't realize it. It actually gives Yeshua, um, how did they put it? The savior. It, it's, it's incredible. And it dates his crucifixion on there. Just incredible, but people don't see it because I'm telling you, listen to me. There are people out there that in the scholarly world that do not want this information to be set free. Sure. Yeah. Promise you. There's some dark figures out there that don't want this information out because it makes their little theories crumble. Um, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of jealousy in this world. And I don't go on it. It's not about jealousy. It's yeah. about knowledge. Of our of our Messiah, it's about knowledge of our God. It's, there's there's a lot to be gained from this, but they're all worried about the money. They're all worried about the, the popularity and their and their silly little, you know, quest to be the top archaeologist or yeah. researcher. It's silly. Yeah. Now I've, so, I've I've been over there enough to know enough about that world that it's a little bit of a cesspool kind of because it's just a clash of egos. I mean, it is. It's you know, it's not about yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to kind of wade through it. Like I remember going, you know, and you hear this person and oh that they say this way or that, that and then another archaeologist was oh no it's this or not. And so you have to actually literally kind of wade through the minefield. And it's kind of fun because over the years I've gotten to know different people and guides and whatever. And even them, you know, they don't even believe their own archaeologists sometimes. They're just like, no, 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 this is this or this. it's like, ah yeah. <laughs> help me. But yeah, anyway, so I know, I know, I know where you're coming from. One of the problems is this, you know, they, they get their, their, this is where they get become so, uh, they got their blinders on. Yeah. 
is, and I don't mean this ugly, but what they do is they are taught from a script at their universities or colleges. They're taught from, from, a, from a script and it comes through their university. Well, if that script is not accurate, all of their credibility and everybody before them and after them that, that are thrown from that particular vein of thought, if that's wrong, they all lose credibility and their, their big time PhDs and all that kind of crumbles to the sky. I don't have a PhD. I don't give a darn. It is not about, <laughs> I don't have to worry about pleasing anybody. <clears throat> what I got is just research. Yep. And that's one of the things I learned as a uh, firefighter when I was doing the uh, fire investigations is one of the things that I did is I would try to prove a particular person innocent, not guilty. I would try to prove them to be innocent. And if it didn't work, I couldn't prove him to be innocent. Guess what? I'm gathering information the whole way about his guilt. And I did, I did well. Hmm. It worked out very well. Obviously I got, you know, uh, yeah. investigative gear worldwide. Yeah. So there's much more to the story and there's a lot more to be learned. If you just set aside your ego, and in, in your, I don't know, reputation and just learn because you can learn from a child if you'll just listen to them. My wife helped me a bunch. She knew things that, you know, that instinctively that I had to study and work for. It's the strangest thing. Women have a, a knack for just understanding things. And if the guys would just listen to their wives, they learn a lot. And then even if she's not right, you just say, yes, ma'am. And go on down. <laughs> oh, that's the truth. Yep. Well, that's, that's, that's very interesting. No, I, I, uh, wow. On the, so just your opinion, maybe this, maybe you don't have an opinion on this. So you're going into the dating of, of, uh, what Daniel talks about the 480, what is it? 483 years. Um, uh -huh. Any opinions on the whole 70th week theory? Do you ever get into eschatology at all? Oh gosh. Yeah. That timeline I told you about is, yeah. is massive eschatology. So, um, one of the things I learned by doing this and laying out a, a primary, I call them benchmarks. You lay it all out and it's like your, your checkbook, your register, you know, it all, it's all there. Then I go back and I plug in information as I find it. And it always works. It always matches, uh, Daniel's timeline. Uh, let me give you a, a better example, 390 years and the 40 years that's from the book of Ezekiel. Well, that 390 years is used a lot in prophecy. And there's several places that it lines up. Like the one I was telling you about, uh, one of the prophecies is, the birth of Yeshua, yeah, 390 years from the, from the uh, Babylonian exile. When they went into exile, 390 years from the destruction of the temple down through time and then add 20. And that's what the, that's what the scroll says of the Dead Sea Scrolls and add 20 years to that. And it will be the birth of the Messiah hmm. Oof, right there, right on cue. It's right there. So, but that 390 years is also used for what? It's for the uh, uh, kingdom, 390 years of punishment for not obeying the commandments. Well, from the, uh, the uh, king that took everybody, all the 10 tribes and the northern tribes of Israel, took them into exile. Yep. Um, exactly. From the, his death, time, 390 years times seven because he never re they never repented. And what does it say in the Bible, the Old Testament says, you don't repent of your sin, your punishment is multiplied by seven. Right. So I put it from the date of his, uh, that he died, never repented. So I multiplied it by seven, 390 divided by, or times seven. Guess what year it landed on? The year 1947, when Israel was reborn again. And so again, my point just telling you this, this story is those numbers work in several different places. 
to include the one that I just told you about from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, um, yeah, I do. A, there's a lot of eschatology in there. Matter of fact, would you like a copy of it? Sure, I would love that. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'll send you one after we get off the line here. Yeah, perfect. Uh, it's a it's a uh, Excel document. Okay. So if you've got Microsoft Excel, yep. you're good to go. You'll be okay. able to pull it up. Yeah, that would be amazing. That'd be awesome. Well, I don't want to. I don't know how much time you have, so I don't want to overdo it there. But I'm I'm drinking it up. I love it. A young guy like <laughs> me can learn so much from a guy like you. You know. <laughs> yeah, this is us old guys. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> I well, listen. To... If you ever want to get, if you ever want to get together, and uh, and if you, I'll send you the timeline if you want to look at it. And uh, you'll see that the prophecies are they're incredible. Wow. Um, oh, totally. It's just amazing. Uh, and if you ever want to talk about that, we'll do that too. And we can sit down and just do a, a, a say. And even if you just want to talk privately and look at it, we can do that too. It doesn't have to be a, uh, you know, show off Jimmy's work. We can do it privately. <laughs> and take a well, my whole thing with this, uh, I'll be honest with you. So back in 20, it was 2013, I think I got the idea that I was going, you know, I went to Israel 2011, 2013, 2014, uh, 16, 18, 19, etc. So in 2013, I started a travel blog and uh, I kind of plagiarized your name a little bit. Sorry. I, I, I called my blog Bible Truth Project. Oh, and that's good. So not, not because I was trying to like copy what you're doing. I'm just basically for me, it was like, I, I'm eminently, I'm just so passionate about the Bible and truth and I'm a very project oriented person. So like, uh, we have, a my dad owns several companies and so I'm involved with a lot of different type of special projects and stuff that I do. So I'm a very project oriented type of a guy. So for me, it was sure. just kind of like I, the project part of your name kind of had a ring. So I had called my blog Bible Truth Project, and later I decided, yeah, I'll make a YouTube channel and blah, 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 blah. And uh, years have gone on. I kind of let it sit and didn't do that much with it. Part of it is I had, you know, I had some kids a couple of years ago. Life gets busy, and it's kind of hard to keep pushing material out. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but in the last year, I said, yeah, I need to take that up again. And I'd love to have conversations with the people that have impacted me and the research that I've done, the things that I've, you know, seen and experienced in Israel and, you know, and just make, yeah, talk to people that, that have been influencers for myself, which is, you, you are definitely, def, definitely one of those. So sorry for kind of stealing, uh, I didn't steal your name, but kind of for, sorry, uh, for borrowing oh, uh, gosh, off a little bit. <laughs> Not a problem at all. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, anything else you want to add? I'm always interested. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun conversation. I love it. Uh, I, yeah, I do too. I like this a more relaxed um, format. I, I really enjoy that because I can I can discuss things and talk about things that are happening. But yeah, in I, I encourage people um, just keep your eyes open. Know that there there are things dark things going on behind the scenes. Yep that all of us need to be as aware as we possibly can be and look up because redemption may be around the corner. Yep. And I hope and I pray that it is because we are in a very dark world. Yep. And some of the things that are happening um, is evil like I never expected to see. And within the last three years, I have been so enlightened to the darkness that is, yeah. exists in the country and around the world yeah. that um, all of your listeners, they take that very serious and know that, you know, you get all your buddies in church or synagogue, whatever they, whatever they do, get them in there because there's a, there's important things coming and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for the research, the years of dedication and faithfulness to it. That's something that, you know, the Lord will reward you for, but thank you for, uh, for talking to us and, uh, hopefully we can continue the conversation later. I'd love to. Anytime you want to do this, just let me know. And I, 
and I apologize publicly for missing the whip tonight. <laughs> no. That was entirely my fault. No, not a, not a problem on my part. So, uh, thank you. You bet. You have a wonderful day, and I'll be talking to you hopefully soon. That would be awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. You bet. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.